Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. It is game day. Dawn has broken on the 123rd U.S. Open. Welcome, one and all. You can see I am on the road today, and I cannot wait for the start of the U.S. Open. And it actually starts a lot earlier than what you might be thinking. We're talking about on East Coast time. We're still talking about just after 9 a.m. is when all the programming starts to kick in. We're going to go over all of that for you today, yesterday. In the media center, there were more uh, important people that were cruising through. And this time, it was in the form of USGA officials. And the reason why their comments are so important, one, because you're talking about how you set up the golf course the way you did, why you set up the golf course the way you did. But obviously, a lot of the comments coming in were going to be surrounding this potential union amongst golf's uh, what was warring fractions between uh, the PGA Tour in Live Golf, and now this prospective union between Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, and forming this umbrella organization as yet to be named, which would be over uh, the PGA Tour, Live Golf, uh, the DP World Tour, et cetera, and what all of that means. So uh, uh, Fred Perpal, who is the president of the USGA, Mike Wan, who's the CEO of the USGA, and John Bodenhammer, who pretty much is heading up this championship and others for the USGA, but he's he's the guy at the top of this one, got together and they were asked about just, you know, where you stand with, with Live Golf. And, and so Mike made an opening statement relative to the same. How much do you think that golf was, was fractured leading to the announcement that happened on Tuesday, uh, June 6th? Uh, John spoke about uh, how proud they are about what, where they are, what they've done, how they've done it. Uh, he, he also spoke to how we wanted the golf course set up, and I'll let his words speak to that. And, and I'm glad that I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this much. I'll give you this much of a hint of it. I'm glad that he used the word fair in his setup. We'll, we'll see how that plays out as the week progresses. And then Fred and Mike spoke in a very interesting subject where they were asked about a black player's who are in the U.S. Open. Uh, where are they? How many are there? What efforts are the USGA making to reach different constituencies to continue to expand and grow the game, uh, not only here in the United States, but you're talking about on a global basis uh, when play players are coming in from different ethnicities. So with that, let's take you inside of the media center with the executives from the USGA. If you remember Boston last year, uh, the weekend before we got to Boston, Liv played its first event. Before that, uh, Live had been a lot of uh, a lot of press releases and a lot of what ifs, but actually played. And following that, there was player suspensions, and we were kind of depressed, thinking, you know, this great country club setting here in Boston uh, that really deserved to be talked about wasn't going to get its due. But I'm fairly certain now, having lived through this deja vu, that the um, same thing will happen this week that happened last week, which is once the balls go in the air, the athletes take the narrative back. And if you asked anybody to describe what was the 2022 U.S. Open all about. I don't think anybody would talk to you about the weekend before. They're going to talk about Zalatoris and Matthew Fitzpatrick and an incredible nine iron out of a bunker and that incredible theater that was created on 18 thanks to the folks at the country club. And I'm pretty sure that when we recap 2023, we're going to be talking about what happened on the golf course and not what happened off the golf course. 
Well, you say golf fractured. I mean, I think we're talking about men's professional golf, right? So, I mean, I, I think golf itself as an industry probably has never been this strong ever, uh, both in the U.S. and around the world. Um, what, what the outcome of this will be, I'm, you know, I'm, I'd be lying if I said I feel like I have some insider information relative to what, what you may have. So exactly where this plays out, I don't know. Um, I think from the USGA's perspective, like I said, I just remember a year ago when Liv started its first event that everybody turned to us and said, are they going to play? Are they not going to play? Are you going to let them in? And, um, you know, John, John was the first in the meeting to say it's called the U.S. Open, and if somebody qualifies for the U.S. Open, they play in the U.S. Open. So um, I, th I think we sent a message a year ago about the openness of the, of the championship, and uh, nothing's changed in the last year. Exactly what happens in the, uh, in the future of men's professional golf um, will certainly be um, – We'll certainly be paying attention, um, but I'm not really sure it changes the USGA or the US Open or our championships. Our openness, we're incredibly proud of that. Mike mentioned 10,187 entered this great championship, 26 right here from this club, to pursue their dream, to play in a major championship, our National Open Championship. You know, the way that I like to think about our National Open, all of our USJ championships, doesn't matter the shape of your swing, where you grew up, where you come from, the color of your skin. If you can get your golf ball in the hole, you can play in the U.S. Open. And that's a great thing we can all uh, be proud of. Tough but fair, what we do with golf course setup. It is, not, it is about the great venues we go to and the world's greatest players and letting them showcase their skills. Every club in the bag dirty. It's that simple. We want them to hit it. Left to right, right to left, high, low. We want to, we want to challenge their mental uh, aspects, the physical aspects. Everything about uh, a golfer we, we examine and, and we want them to experience here at a U.S. Open. That means a lot of different things, but that's what we focus on. Yeah, I'm, I think what happens in elite golf is a reflection of, you know, the choices we've made in the past. And I would love this to be like a, a shortcut, right, like that we could just press – the magic uh, one. I think what we're doing with Team USA and investing in more inclusion and more opportunity and more accessibility hopefully changes this trajectory. Like we know golf is better when all of us are included. And, and so we hope like the results of what we're doing will show up. Um, it is disappointing, but I think it also is exciting because that's the opportunity. And when you, when you see, you know, the balancing between how much we spend on purse versus how much we can invest in a community like South Los Angeles to restore a golf course, where these are the kind of golf courses like a Tiger Woods grew up playing on. That accessibility is part of our issue. And if we're going to have elite golfers of all backgrounds, we've got to improve the accessibility. And that's, that's part of what our commitment is. So we look at the, the challenge that we have today, and we see that as an exciting opportunity. And I think Mike and the team and our you know, Unify Showcase Governance Advance, they, you know, that's what we're working on. Yeah, at the risk of uh, hitting play and me talking for 45 minutes, because this is a topic that's close to the heart, is uh, the diversity of the game at age 12 is amazing, and the diversity sometimes at age 20 isn't nearly as amazing. And um, I've said this for a lot of years, but now, I, you know, now I'm sitting in the seat where we can do something about it. We are going to be all in on the U.S. National Development Team, um, and we're going to make sure that uh, talented kids, no matter what they look like or where they come from or how wealthy their parents are in the States, have a chance to go. Every other country in the world has a country program to foster and grow their youth pipeline. Um, we have incredible youth pipeline. We just sort of 
ask everybody to figure it out on their own. So between mega grant programs, national coaching programs, development programs, I'm, I was amazed as the LPGA commissioner how every woman on that tour came out of a country program except Americans. And I was amazed what they were taught at age 12, 13, 14, getting them ready to compete at a professional level. Um, and the Americans were at, a, quite frankly, a disadvantage there. Um, and, so, and, and sometimes the, the cost of, of raising a young kid can sometimes be a limiting factor in this sport. So, um, you know, the last letter on United States Golf Association, um, we've kind of changed to advance as opposed to association. And one of the ways we're going to advance the game is really invest in a better pipeline. That will be all kinds of diversity, um, but I think you're going to see a stronger pipeline in the next 10 or 20 years. And uh, that doesn't make us better than the rest of the world. It just makes us catch up. Interesting comments always from Mike Wan. He's such a good communicator. And clearly in this area, there is a leadership by the USGA that's going to benefit the game long term because of the way that they're investing back in the game. It's not only in the Los Angeles area where they are working on that local course so they can make it better and get more diversity there. I mean, there's what, 16,000 golf courses spread out from coast to coast and and a lot of them could use that kind of help. And and so I, I acknowledge and realize that it's symbolic, but it's still important nonetheless with what they are doing. So I'm glad that the USGA is making that kind of effort. I'm really glad about the national program he's talking about, which is way more significant in terms of uh, its impact in, in the immediate future and moving forward, because now you're talking about the USA having a program to help develop golfers uh, on a global basis. He was, he was talking about the national program. I love his last statement where it's, it doesn't make us better than what other countries are doing. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Uh, it just allows us to catch up, which is fascinating. So that's some real good um, insight there, too. The The next sound that we're going to play from them coming up here is more about the golf ball rollback. Uh, that's where a, an area where I support the USGA and the RNA's long-term efforts in terms of what they want to do in distance in the game. I just don't support the current proposal that they have out there, to be fair. But we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. But first of all, Adam, how about uh, have you – I haven't seen or heard anything new about Jay Monahan and the status of his medical situation as, they, as they've been referring to it. Uh, have you heard anything? Have you seen anything? And I'm also interested if you have a question of the day out there today. Uh, good morning, Matt. Um, no, there is not any sort of new news on that front to update you all. Obviously, our, we're sending our wishes to Monahan and his family. We certainly hope he bounces back very quickly. The news is that he is sort of on the mend, and hopefully it'll be sometime in the near future where he'll sort of be back to business as usual. Uh, but until now, we're just sort of in a wait-and-see mode, uh, Matt. Uh, question of the day is very simple, Matt. It's Thursday of the U.S. Open. Who is going to win the U.S. Open? And I only have four options. So okay, come on. I picked the top three people in odds, all right? Odds makers are saying Scheffler, Rahm, and Kepka. Those are your leaders in the clubhouse. Those are who who's expected, quote-unquote, to win the U.S. Open. So those are your options, Scotty, Rahm, or Brooks, or the field. Right now, right now, it's early in the running. I just posted this. It's been seconds it's been up there. But right now, Brooks Kepka is at fifty-five percent, and he's beating the field. <laughs> what are the give, so, give us all of them? Cool. What, give me give, give me each line item. Uh, Scotty Scheffler has zero percent. Like I said, I just posted this ten seconds ago. Give it some time, people. John Rahm's at four percent. Kepka's at fifty-two percent, and the field is at forty-three percent. I mean, we heard from Kepka on the show yesterday, Matt, 
And uh, that uh, his, by the way, what we the supercut, if you will, of what he said at his presser, um, we we also posted right on our YouTube page. You can find what he said and rewatch it. And we've talked about it on this show a few times, Matt. I still, I still, I've been searching other sports looking for a uh, sort of a comp of Brooks Kepka, and I still have yet to find a comp in a sport where you have a player that literally seems to only show up in big moments exclusively. There are a lot of players in all sports over the years, Matt, that play well when stress is high and win championships and and things like that. But they also do well elsewhere, right? They whether it's a regular season or or whether it's, you know, regular tournaments in this case. But on the whole, I mean, I'd have to go and look it up, Matt, but I'm pretty sure that he has more major championship wins than PGA Tour wins. <laughs> I mean, that's really weird. That's weird. And so I think I wonder if that's the reflection of what we're seeing in this, as simple as the question of the day, who's going to win the U.S. Open? You got 46% of the people now saying Brooks Kepka is going to beat the field on a guy who really doesn't play well in PGA Tour events. He just shows up and wins majors, which is crazy. How bonkers would it be, Matt, if in 15 years from now, Brooks Kepka has three tour wins and two live wins and 12 majors? Explain that. Yeah, I mean, part of that, what you're explaining, comes down to the fact that currently he's playing on live, so he hasn't had as many reps to use a tiger vernacular uh and with the, the pga tour so we don't know how many more pga tour wins although he has i think two wins uh on the the live golf tour if memory serves me but i'm not sure how those are are factored in i think i think when you take whatever your number is uh and go ahead and look it up while we're talking look up look up and find out let's get it the exact answer of how many pga tour wins he has because obviously all those majors nine. count as pga tour he has wins nine but, uh, so he has but four. The that's what i thought count. he has four wins Right, so he has four PGA Tour He's won Tour the Waste Management twice. He won the CJ Cup. And he won the WGC FedEx Cup, or the FedEx St. Jude Invitational at that time. Which, ironically, is also a giant event, a WGC event. I don't know if that qualifies as in, in what I'm talking about here, but... You mean if Captain yeah, he literally has yeah. He literally has more majors... Than, than regular wins. <laughs> That's great. I mean, Same thing with the European Tour, by the way. Remember, he played on the European Tour. He won the Turkish Airlines Open in 2014. Remember, he started in an unusual fashion playing um, sort of European Challenge, Challenge Tour. Tour events. He yep. won four events on the Challenge Tour. He won two events on the on the Japan Golf Tour in 2016, 2017. He had a very different path to, to where he is, but he still has more major championship victories than victories on any other tour. Four Challenge Tour wins, two two Japan Tour wins, um, you know, the, whatever it was, four uh, PGA Tour wins. He does have two, by the way, Live Golf Tour wins. That's crazy, Matt. That is insane. He's still only well, 33. He's still only 33, and that's why that sound cut from him the other day when he said, you know, I think I can get the du- double-digit majors. And it's funny how it, – it's just funny to me how people react or how the media more more so react. And, and there were some people that kind of scoffed at that a little bit, saying, you know, if if you're going to get into double digits in majors, you're putting yourself in the company of Walter Hagen, who has 11, Tiger Woods, who has 15, and Jack Nicklaus, who has 18. 
you know, dot, 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 and kind of let it linger there. But he's got five. He's only five away at 33 years old. If he won one major every other year for the next 10 years, is he capable of that? That's one out of eight. Is Brooks Kepka capable of that, the Brooks Kepka that's playing right now? Darn right he is. He finished second in the first one this year and won the next one. So, I mean, he's perfectly capable of winning one out of eight, what, every two years, and that would put him exactly in that if he, if he obviously advances beyond right that. Right now, now he's, he's, you're talking he's about winning eclipsing. majors at a 14% clip. That's the math. It's amazing. He's only played in 36 majors, and he's got five wins. He also has four runner-ups, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, and I think that's an, a really important stat, too, that that he's when he doesn't win, he's also knocking on the door uh, where we saw the same thing most predominantly in in Jack Nicklaus, who has the most majors of all time at 18 because he had 19 second place finishes, if you can believe that, uh, to to add to it. So, you know, I've always loved that about Brooks Kepka, and I'm not surprised that your survey is coming in the way that it is because our, our people are incredibly smart. Obviously, they're watching a a daily live golf talk show, but I've thought all week that Brooks should be the, the odds on favorite, that he should be the guy at the top of the odds. And, and all week it had been Scotty Scheffler. I was saving the, the discussion of the odds for later on in the program, but since we're going down this road, wait, down, wait, wait, hold on a second. Can I share another statistic with you with this? I'm looking yeah. at this stuff with, with Brooks. All right. So we've, we've established that he's only won four PGA tour events. This is crazy. What I'm about to tell you. Okay. So outside of majors, he's played in 176 PGA tour events. 36 of those are majors, right? You take them out. You take out the majors and his majors win. So he's played in 140 quote, regular PGA tour events. And he has four wins. That is a 2% win percentage. He wins PGA tour events, 2% clip. He wins majors at a 14% clip. That divide is Mind melting! I can't believe that. That is completely insane. I'm sorry. So you want is, the odds on the screen? I do, but just bear in mind, Don. We have to keep reiterating the fact that there's an asterisk there because he's missed a big part of the center of the fillet when you're talking about him relative to PGA Tour events. If, if for example, and I don't know if it's comparable. I can't make this judgment. But if you took his two wins on live, it's going to change your percentage. If you count him, that as six wins outside of majors and that if you counted his i wouldn't say his challenge tour wins but his win on the dp world tour now you're talking about seven wins outside of majors just so that it's not so centric on the pga tour because honestly frankly right now he doesn't play in the pga tour and it doesn't look like yeah, he but will it would still for at be least a very the rest low percentage because he's played in tons of events on the challenge tour in the european i understand i'm not over. i'm not questioning I mean, i'm not questioning the, the greater philosophy that Brooks Kepka focuses himself on the biggest events in the world, which are the majors. And we love that he does that. We absolutely love the fact that he comes in with so much bravado and with a swipe of the hand, he says, yeah, most of these guys are coming in scared and most of these guys are this and that. And I don't do that. I mean, he, he really sounds like some kind of gladiator when he goes into, into majors. And I think it's entertaining is all get out. So here, here are, these are the odds as of today Scotty Scheffler's odds are seven to one. That's what he was yesterday, tightening up. Uh, John Rahm at ten to one. Then you have Brooks Kepka twelve to one, which again I don't get. To me, he should be number one. He should be about five to one from what we're hearing. 
Rory is at 14 to 1. Patrick Cantley is at 16 to 1. Patrick Cantley should be stronger. Xander Shoffley is 16 to 1. He should be stronger. Victor Hovland is at 18 to 1. It's a bargain. And look who's at the bottom of your list, Jordan Spieth, Dom. Well, I didn't. I'm not putting him there because I like him. I'm putting him there because these odds change people. At the beginning of the week, like last week, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, coming into Monday, if I mean, if, if my memory serves, I mean, we're talking like 30, 35 to 1. You know, last week for Jordan Spieth. So he, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what, I don't, I don't understand betting, but his odds have improved dramatically. And that may just be a result of more people throwing money down on Spieth because he's a big name. But um, there he is. He's popped up on the, on the, on that little leader. I mean, that, that means he's got the, how many people is that? Eight? He's got the eighth best odds to win the US Open now. And he was nowhere near that seven days ago. It is amazing. All right, so I want to get reaction from the fans coming up in the show today. I want to talk about the weather. I want to go over air times with you. We want to talk about some interesting tea times and more. I also like to know where you guys are watching us from because uh, we, we told you yesterday we want to lean into a fact that sometimes you don't even realize what you have when it's staring you in the face. And the Fairways of Life show uh, is the only independent daily live golf television show that's available worldwide we are literally the only one so i'd like to know where you guys are are watching us from right now or listening to us from send us send us in that message if you subscribe to us on youtube the fairways of life show on youtube you can see the discussion board is rolling right now but we'd like to know from where around north america where around the united states where around the world you are consuming the program today so we can celebrate this day the dawning of the 123rd united states open. We have more coming up. We are going to talk about the golf ball rollback. I get it. It's the opening day of the U.S. Open, uh, and surely there's much to talk about about tournament proper, but this is the USGA's officials talking about the rollback because it is them and the RNA that that want to make this imprint on the game around the world, and they're in this discussion period in which they're waiting for people to weigh in. So let's find out what their status is on that when we come back. The Fairways of Life show is presented by the PGA Tour Superstore, the number one golf retailer in all of the land. They are number one because of what is within these walls. There is little doubt about that. And it's not only what you swing or what you wear or what you learn from. It is also about their people. They are the best in the business. And I think that's the true secret to their success. You can shop with the pros at the PGA Tour Superstore and find your happy place. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! (laughs) Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland... Golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. 
It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs. The Tour Ball reinvented. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm going to go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're going to need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know, Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know, Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One, zero, one. Gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz, sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. U.S. Open is underway this morning. Coming up in, what time? Just over an hour from now, we will have the first shot struck from the Los Angeles Country Club. Don, why don't you throw the, the tee times up there? Let's let's share a little bit about who's going to be getting the U.S. Open underway. You can see that these times are Eastern, 9.45 a.m. are when the first tee time, first tee balls will be hit. And that will lead us right into, there's some pretty big groups going out pretty early. I mean, you, you just heard Dom talking about uh, some big names. Uh, Michael Kim has been making a lot of news. Not because I'm, say, I'm not saying that because Michael Kim is one of the huger names in the game, but because he's been communicating a lot with the world of golf, particularly about what happened with the merger, uh, the proposed merger, I guess you, you would say, with, with uh, Live Golf and the PGA Tour. Or it's not really proposed. I shouldn't use that word. It's It's the planned merger in terms of what uh, the public investment fund and the PGA tour are planning on doing and where they're going forward. People are, are very quick to say, well, it's not a merger between the PGA tour and live what it means for the PGA tour and live. We don't know yet. There is a new entity that is coming together uh, between the public investment fund and the PGA tour. So there is some form of, uh, the semantics involved of those guys merging into a, a common theme. We'll see how it manifests itself. At 10.07, you can see Scott Stallings uh, amongst that group. The, again, these are all Eastern time. 10.18, Patrick Rogers, Ryan Armour amongst those out at 10.29. Real Ishikawa, Kevin Streelman, um, Matthew Pavone from France all taking to the golf course. At same time, there you see Thomas Peters. Now, he's a player that oftentimes you'll hear talked about with this new union and the prospect of bringing back players that went to live that could help the European Ryder Cup team. He was, he was, although I haven't heard a lot from him in terms of how he's playing, honestly, I don't even know. But here are live players uh, in the 2023 U.S. Open. Brooks Koepka, of course, Dustin Johnson. Uh, Patrick Reed, it was a story about Patrick Reed. You now everyone wants to vilify Patrick Reed constantly. Uh, he was at L.A. Country Club a couple weeks ago. Uh, he used a local caddy to learn as much as he could about the golf course. And he was so impressed with the information that this local caddy gave him that he tipped him ready for it. $7,500. Wow. 
Martin Keimer, Mito Pereira. Uh, you can see Phil Mickelson up there, of course, Bryson DeChambeau, Cameron Smith, who a lot of people are starting to turn to. I'm going to ask Dom about his odds in just a second. Abraham Answer. There's Thomas Peters, Sergio down the bottom. Sergio uh, qualified for this U.S. Open. Uh, Dom, just as we're looking through, as I'm, I'm looking through some of these tee times continuing to do so, uh, I am curious about some of the odds of those players that we're just talking about from Live Golf, uh, particularly Cam, Cam Smith. Smith is 25 to 1 right now. Ooh, still a good deal. Still a really good deal. Uh, 10.40 a.m. this morning. Again, Eastern. Shane Lowry, Justin Thomas, Tommy Fleetwood. At 10.40 on 10, Bryson DeChambeau, Francesco Amalanare, and Terrell Hatton. My friend uh, in, in Ireland, John McLaughlin. So John put down, I don't think there's any shame in telling you because it's, it's completely normal. He, he put down a, a wager on the U.S. Open, and I had a chance to speak to him about his intent. <clears throat> this is the direction that my cousin's going. Scheffler, Rahm, Kepka, McElroy, Lowry, Morikawa, Homa, Cantlay, Shoffley, Rose, Hatton, and Hovland. And when I told Dom about this before we went on the air, that he scoffed at me. He openly scoffed. He was like, Puh. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is this about? Are you going to try to tell me that somehow the sanctity of sports betting has been violated because too many good players? You can't just bet on everybody. That's, That's not, not everybody, what's dude. What's the fun in that? That's not every. I knew he was going to scoff. He was like, Puh. "Oh, you're only supposed to pick like one or two in in a dark horse." And I'm like, "No, that's well, not the yes, way it works." Yes, it's exactly. I know. How I, knew, I knew. I knew. you were coming from. I that's knew like, you were man, coming I from. I think. You- I think the Nuggets will win the championship, or maybe the Heat. I'll just put money on both teams. Well, oh, really? I didn't that. realize. Is there now 156 teams in the NBA? I know they're expanding, but I didn't realize it was 156. No, come so on. What I was. No, just- I mean, listen. We're about transparency here, Matt. Let's be honest. Realistically, how many people in the field? There's 156 guys in the field. How yep. many of them have a real chance to win the U.S. Open? As Brooks Kepka has said many times in front of the podium, not a lot. That number is second. probably like 15 guys. Hold on a second. Michael Black guys. is calling me. Michael Black's calling me. Saying, <laughs> did, you, did you watch the PGA That was mean. That's mean. You're being mean. You know, he's calling me and saying, did you watch the PGA Championship? What, what I was trying to explain to Dom, though, the way that it works is – is that you're obviously trying to pick a winner, right? But the other players that you have put money down on, if they finish in a top 10, you get a you get a percentage. You get 20% of the odds. So theoretically- yeah, that's with if, whatever if, betting house you're talking about. That's not everywhere. That's not how it works everywhere. I don't know how it works. I don't care how it works everywhere. I'm hey, telling you about see, what you I, don't know what, what you're I talking about. heard we did. No, you no, no. You don't know no. what's going on. I know what, I know <laughs> what John did. I know what you know. I know you know. I know what John did. I'm telling you, say you get somebody at 10 to 1, and they have a top 10 finish, which Shane Lowry seems to have in all of these majors, although you make fun of him, yeah. he, he sneaks into the top 10. So if you get him at 10 to 1, which you get a better odds than that for Shane, but if you get him at 10 to 1, and he finishes in the top 10, you're not going to get the $10. You're going to get two, but you bet one. So you double your money on on someone in that instance. 
What is Shane Lowry at right now? Shane Lowry is at right now. Dom is so tired to of asking about. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm a little sick of that. Yeah. Yeah. So he finishes Let's in a top ten on a, on a one dollar bet. It makes for Brooks Kepka. This is insane. That's what it was before. It hasn't changed. The, the votes are like piling up, and we're still at fifty four percent with Brooks. How Kepka. can you blame the people? people I told really... you they're really smart, Dom. They know what they're doing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Derek says Brooks is a major machine. Come on. Neil says, hence why Brooks' last comment was, see you guys at Travelers. Ha, I ha, love ha. that. He's a Yeah, beast. hence. I like that he said <laughs> hence, too. Michael says, I'd love it if Phil Mickelson won this golf tournament. Not going to lie. Phil Mickelson is he's with, trying with to get everything career on grand the line slam. right now. What a train wreck. I would love that to happen. It would be amazing. You remember, you know Phil only... But you, but it's not only that you're you're rooting for history here when you're talking about this. Phil only won a major championship two years ago. Oh man, I'm just I'm, I remember I'm scrolling around the comments. There's so many that come in here. Um, I've got where people are watching us, Matt. Yeah. Look at this. Oh, that's still on the screen. Look. I liked it, though. Actually, that's better. That's co- it's covering I was going to say, face. I kind of like that. I can, I Let's can check out the odds, it. folks. <laughs> <laughs> and leave it there. Leave it there, Dom. Scotty Shepler, how about that? Leave okay, it. Okay, fine. Go ahead. All right, here. This is cool. This is really cool. This is why we love our show. Listen to this, Matt. I'm listening. I don't, I'm not going to read all the names, but we've got Oak Island, North Carolina. Melbourne, Australia. I watch Daily from Texas. London, UK. Massachusetts, Long Island, New York, Rochester, New York, Seattle Lake, Washington. I love you guys. I love this. Watching from Ann Arbor, Michigan, go blue. Of course, the only guy from Michigan with the go blue. That's got to be Michigan Ray up there. Look at this. Look at this. Tabuk, Saudi Arabia. Okay. Pennsylvania. Right next to the guy from Pennsylvania. (laughs) I love this show. Downey, California. Marrakech, Morocco. Morocco, Melbourne, Australia, Atlanta, Stuttgart, Germany. This is the greatest thing ever. This is so cool, Matt. And look at those odds. Told you. <laughs> yeah, look at those odds. I love this. That's why we're the only independent daily live. This is that is that is golf television show available worldwide. That is so cool. I've tried. I'm cool. trying to stop calling as a morning. Television golf show because we're getting we people well, Derek all says, over the world. Like, I forget where Derek is. I think he's in Australia. Starts at eight a.m. us time, fifteen hundred here. Three o'clock. He's listen, not in Australia. Listen, yet. listen. I'm no good at this. I'm very bad at math. What I'll say is, we are roughly from right now. If you're watching right now, we are essentially one hour from the first tee ball being struck. And you better right. believe we're going to be off the air before then because I'm going to watch the golf. I don't know about you guys. I'm not all doing right. this. There's no doubt about that. Oh, Dom, we got a lot of stuff. I need you to keep the odds. I promise Victor Hoplin will hold the trophy. There's a lot of cool stuff here. See? I'm I'm enjoying this. Who said that? Props to that person. John from... uh, Oh, okay. No, no, London. London, Some guy named London. That's what I thought it was going to be John from And then he says, by the uh, way, the golf superstore commercials are quite naughty in theme. (laughs) It's all in the hips. That's a Happy Gilmore reference. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Did you actually see at the end of that yeah. when they put their graphic up? It actually says copyright Happy Gilmore. Thing North Carolina, Westford, New York, Jupiter, Florida, Salt Lake City, Utah, 
Salt Lake City's beautiful, by the way. I love it. St. Francis Bay, South Africa. That sounds really pretty. I'm going to look that up. St. Francis Bay, South Africa. Man, this is crazy. I love this. It I is love absolutely it. awesome. Uh, TravelersChampionship.com. I think could surprise some people. Eh, I don't know about that. The best of the world. Let's He's stay with me on it. Earth here, people. Why did you do? Why did you just say? Why do you do that? Phoenix, Arizona. He says. Yeah, Phoenix. <laughs> change the subject. Dom sees the pool of 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 flammable liquid start to gather. And he takes his cigarette and he flips it into it. Some guy says that Bryson DeChambeau, who has won the U.S. Open, is capable of playing well. And Dom's like, take it easy. Talk reason. Come on. Come on. If we're being honest here, uh, listen, I I said it before. We were talking about the odds. I think the number of people that realistically, that's why I was laughing about all the people that you were talking about your friend betting on. I think the realistic number of people who can actually win is probably like, 15? I will bet you right now, Domenico Scarano, I will bet you right now that Bryson DeChambeau will finish. (laughs) I'm pointing a pen right at you. I I don't care about where he finishes. I'm saying. No, no, no. Let me finish. Would you include him in the 15 people who will win? Let me finish my sentence and you'll you'll get my my sense of my support of Bryson's prospects this week. Bryson will finish higher on the leaderboard than Jordan Spieth. Okay. What does that have to do? What are you trying to make me take angry it here? or what leave? What does that have it? to do with what I said? No, no. I'm I'm trying to see how serious you are about your criticism, Bryson, which was seemed you told me I was mean. That seemed very mean spirited. Somebody's like, Oh, I'm cheering for Bryson DeChambeau. You're like, Don't be an idiot. Will you take <laughs> that's not what I said. <laughs> that's the way it came across. The guy from Stuttgart, Germany is very offended. He's like, Yeah, yeah. Um no, that's not what he said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm you, the one being offensive. <laughs> yeah, but you're not. You're not. You're not answering. You're not taking the. Let's you're, take a look I, at the I gave groups. You, <laughs> I gave you a very simple question. Very simple question. Do you want? Do you want to take the deal? <laughs> Bryson will finish higher on the um, leaderboard than Jordan Spieth. Yes or no? No, Spieth will finish higher than Bryson on the leaderboard. Okay, and if so I win fine. this bet. Yes. I get six months paid vacation. <laughs> you, t- you have six months paid vacation. <laughs> six months paid vacation. I love it. Nobody gets more vacation time than Dominic. Aren't you going to, aren't you going to the Boeing trip with us? Look at it. He's going to come back and tell me. No, I'll be that's there. Yes. Work. That's work though. Matt. We're going, uh, we're going in the end of August to Boeing. Uh, we're we're sold out right now, but there is a waiting list, folks. If you want to go to fairwaysoflife.com, you click on some things. There's some people you can email to get on the waiting list. What does that uh, mean? But, you know, Matt just you took a group idiot. to Scotland. We do tons of trips every year. Check us yeah. out. And we don't care if you're coming from Johannesburg, South Africa, Matt, like this guy. You can come come on a trip. We'd love to meet you. I love All right. it. Sounds good to me. Uh, as I was saying, travelerschampionship.com. Uh, they're obviously going from here at the L.A. Country Club to TPC River Highlands in Cromwell, Connecticut for the Travelers Championship. It is an elevated event. The field is stout. Uh, I will tell you that some of the advanced ticket packages are starting to sell out. And I'm not telling you that to urge you to move quickly, but it would be wise to move quickly because the advanced ticket packages are awesome. Uh, We're going to be broadcasting live from there all week and very much looking forward to getting back up to Connecticut for the Travelers Championship. And you can be there, too, just by logging on to TravelersChampionship.com and getting 
more information. So when we come back, I want to hear from Mike Wan. I want to hear about this conversation about where we're at with the golf ball rollback, because the period we're supposed to be in right now is that they're gathering information. They're gathering feedback from which to make an ultimate decision. But having said that, the day that they spoke and introduced this, they being uh, principally in this case, I'm talking about Mike Wan and Martin Slumbers, who had each of their respective organizations, the United States Golf Association and the RNA. Martin Slumbers basically said, well, we're doing it. Didn't seem like a lot of gray area from Martin Slumbers. So where are they at? with this proposal of moving the testing of the golf ball and the robot from 120 miles per hour to 127 miles per hour and the impact that it would have if that takes place. Um, we, I, I, My mind's already starting to race and there's many things that I'd like to say in introducing this, this next segment, but I'm going to wait until the next segment. The Fairways of Life show is presented in part by DeWiz Golf. Talking about watching us from all over the world, DeWiz Golf actually comes from Sweden. It is an incredible technology. It's based on neuroscience and it measures your golf swing in real time and space. You can know your swing like you've never known it before. How many times have you heard people say that feel isn't real? Well, it is real when you're using DeWiz because it'll tell you exactly where your swing is in a whole myriad of different measurements. It's a swing monitor. Take that data and make it a swing modifier. Be better than you've ever been. You can be. Log on to thewizgolf.com. More of the Fairways of Life show worldwide after this. I guess hello world, huh? <laughs> and with one subtle hello, Tiger began an amazing and unthinkable career. I've done it for 20 years now with, with Bridgestone. It allows me to play an aggressive style around the greens, and it's allowed me to win a lot of tournaments. Bridgestone Golf, proud to be part of your journey. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boynegolf.com. This is the whiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one. Gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The whiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The whiz. Sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. <laughs> Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. 
Zero Friction introduces the Wheel Pro Push Cart Golf Bag with its revolutionary three-in-one design, supportive legs that spring into action, a comfort grip handle with three locking positions, accessories for the modern golfer enhanced by seven pockets for more storage, and removable terrain wheels which slide right into place. The new Zero Friction Wheel Pro Golf Bag checks every box for every golfer. Push, carry, or cart. The decision is yours thanks to Zero Friction. Head to ZeroFriction.com today. It is time for the opening round of the 123rd United States Open. We are one hour away from the opening tee shots at the National Championship for the United States. It is very exciting anytime, of course, majors are upon us. It is in some ways kind of shocking to think that for the year that is 2023, we are already into the third of four major championships. Uh, Dom, when we were in the break, you were you were excited because I know you're still continuing to hear from people all over the world that are telling us where they're catching our programming today. Yeah, I just think it's really cool, guys, that you're watching from all over the world. It's amazing what golf does. It really brings people together. I know that there's a lot of sports. We're based in the United States, obviously. Uh, my studio is in North Carolina. Matt's is in Orlando. But, you know, the NFL is they, – they want it to be extremely global, but it's, it's kind of not. Uh, but golf is ex- is just everywhere, and it brings everybody together, and it connects everybody in a positive way. And you know, positivity is something the world could use a lot of right now. So Chris is watching in Phoenix. MBT three says Palm Coast. Look at this guy. Bill says I'm in a pro shop watching from Springfield Golf Club in Mount Holly, New Jersey. How that cool is nice. that? Sounds great. Hey, Dom, I forgot the ad, the odds on Lowry. Can we talk about Lowry? Yeah, yeah. More? <laughs> That's a good point. Who's that from? I'm writing down the name. Uh, his name is Jay Harp. Jay Harp knows what's going on with uh, with Shane Lowry. Shane Lowry's currently 60 to 1, by the way. Um, Jay, jump I on think, that. What, you know, what, where's Jay from? Does it say? Uh, no. Oh, okay. For some reason, I was thinking you were still uh, in New Jersey. Probably would be my guess. <laughs> Uh, has a qualifier ever won, Paul asks. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Who? Um, Francis We Met comes to mind immediately. Yeah, that's true. Um, Michael says, I believe Jack Fleck was a qualifier. Is that true? I don't know if Jack was. We interviewed Jack. I wonder if I could find yes. that interview. Yeah, he. Uh, yes, he was a qualifier. Um, that I would. I would venture to guess, if I went down through the winner's list, the number of players who who had to qualify, particularly because back in the days when you had to qualify, you know what I mean? No exemptions are huge. It's absolutely huge. But in modern times, uh, if memory serves me, Michael Campbell, I believe, we'd have to look into this. I'd have to do a lot more research on it. But off the top of my head, the, the, the quick answer is absolutely yes. Johannesburg, South Africa. Love it. Paul says, this is the best show for sure. Okay, great. Well, at least he's sure Dom about is it. always on a vacation. Like on vacation right now, he says. <laughs> uh, DM right. picks Bryson to win. Paul's so in Jakarta. DMs. That's cool, too. Yeah, now that, we've, now that we've set up this whole thing about, I'm saying that Bryson's going to finish higher on the leaderboard than Jordan Spieth because Dom was like, pff, he was like 
I don't even know why you did that. So, someone's like, I believe that so-and-so is going to win. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, if anybody thinks anybody's going to win, why wouldn't you look at it and go, okay, well, let's see where, where their game is at, where, how it matches up. You got a guy that, that has won the U.S. Open. And with a wave of the hand and a harumph, you, you, you brush off. I don't even know why you did that. Is that just for because I, I, I think that he entertainment purposes? I don't think he's in a good headspace. I don't think he's in a good headspace right now. When is he he's ever in a good headspace? And gaining weight like crazy. Oh, trying come to get on, his body Dom. where he feels calm. Come on. And he hasn't been, he's been playing, he's playing golf, as we know, on the Live Tour. And he's been playing not good golf on the Live Tour. I don't think why, that's Why correct. is what I'm saying crazy? It, I don't, don't think you're it's right. correct. I'm going to look this up. No, no, hold on. Stand by. Stand by. I'm going to go. You talk about other things. Stand by. His team, his team just won on Live, and he was part of No, he's actually playing some good golf. I disagree with you on that. All right, but here's what I do want to talk about while Dom's doing his research. You can come back and bark at me after, after that. I want to get to the sound because I keep promising you that I'm going to get to it because I think it's really important. And I get that we're on the verge of the start of the U.S. Open and, and we all want to stop talking about anything other than what people do with a club in hand. But the golf ball rollback is important. And I realize that I'm biased on this because of my background in equipment manufacturing and all the rest. I get it all. But I want to hear from Mike Wan and where they're at with this process of saying, okay, we want to hear from you and what you think about the, the RNA and the USGA's proposal of saying they're going to roll back the golf ball. So with that, here is the CEO of the United States Golf Association commenting on the same. Well, we knew, I mean, I remember saying this to Fred about a year ago. Uh, I thought this was going to be hard and it is going to be hard. Um, I think I can speak on behalf of the RNA when I say both the RNA and the USGA believe doing nothing is a bad idea for the, for the long-term future and health of the game. Um, and so, uh, but part of doing something means you really got to be out there and really asking for and taking direct comments, and that's what we've been doing. This, this process is really strange. I've said it a few times publicly. We don't have the ability in this process to walk around and talk to everybody individually and then come to the podium. We have to go to the podium, say what we're thinking, and then spend the six months walking around talking to everybody individually. But um, even though I think uh, you probably only get one tenor in the, in the general, I'd, I would say that over, you know, over my first two years uh, doing this, I feel like we've gotten real quality comments, and I feel like we'll, uh, we'll dial into the right long-term solution. Um, but I think if, if your question is, do you think the right long-term solution is nothing, uh, highly unlikely. Uh, you know, it's funny you say that. So we, we started this in 2018. It's 2023, and we're talking about implementing something not, not, not earlier than 2026. So I was talking to a, a friend the other day. He's like, why are you rushing this through? And I'm like, how slow do we have to go? Started in 18, talking about a 26 implementation. Because um, he said to me, can't you just slow this down? I'm like, slower than an eight-year process? I mean, it's, uh, so um, I don't know what the final outcome will be and when we'll come in. I, I don't... Um, if anybody feels like this is in a hurry, I don't think they're really paying attention. I mean, we're talking about we've been back and forth in a listening process, and we are now again. And we've told everybody recently that no earlier than 2026. So um, we're not talking about this season. We're not talking about next season. We're not talking about the season after that. So um, I think if people feel rushed by this, I, I worry for them because this is a pretty slow process. I've, t I've said to this people from the beginning, if you don't think your feedback is making an impact, then you haven't been following the process. Because if you'd listened two years ago, I would have been on a press conference like this telling you where we were going. And I was pretty convinced that's where we were going. And a year later, it was, it was pretty significantly different. And most of that just came from quality feedback from all different aspects, including manufacturers. 
Um, and, uh, and some of that feedback kind of drove us, uh, drove us to model local rule. I think in the, uh, in the world of model local, uh, model, uh, local rule, uh, in the feedback with some of the, uh, some of the PAC players, I would, uh, I would characterize it under two, two factors, um, uh, whether it was players or manufacturers. But I think from, um, players are a little concerned about being, having a different product than the consumers can buy. They know they have an influence on that. They know that that actually generates good business opportunity for them and for the sport. You know, the whole what's he playing, the new product, or what's she playing, new product, actually generates excitement and awareness, and I think that's a fair comment. You know, we don't want to take any of that out of the game. Um, we don't want to take financial opportunities out of the game for the members and for the sport, so I, mean, I think we're, we're listening to that. Um, you know, a model local rule approach, it, to be perfectly honest, allowed us to be a little bit more aggressive uh, because you could be more aggressive at distance at the highest level of distance and therefore not have an impact. And so we've got to balance, you know, over, over the next step of, of input um, whether or not one ball for all or model local rule is kind of, is kind of a right approach. Um, but um, I, I've yet to be in a meeting, whether it's with a manufacturer, a tour player, an association, that hasn't resulted in, in, uh, in making us uh, think and in some cases rethink. I'm not, I'm not always... Uh, I'm not always proud of that, you know, because it, I mean, I'm sure it drives some of my team nuts when I come back and say, I got a different idea. Uh, and we start kind of going down a different path. But, but I would, um, I think it'd be impossible to say that this process and this feedback process hasn't resulted in change along the way. And I, and I believe it, it will continue to do that. I wasn't in the, the manufacturing part of the presentation. I, I can only, you know, can they make the equipment? We've, we've received product against a model local rule proposal already asking us to equipment test it. So, We've received balls from multiple manufacturers, so I know they can make product. It may not be their, their finished version, but uh, in months they were presenting us versions that they wanted to test. And it's a proposal, so we're not, we're not going there yet. So I think they can make it. Um, I think depending on who you talk to in the manufacturing community, the, there's a different point of view on, on, on bifurcation. But I think in general, they like the formula, and I understand why, of what we, what we test, research, and put in play out here is really, uh, it's really a powerful link back to what happens at retail. And uh, I think they're asking us to be careful to break that link, and, and we will be careful. All right, so that was Mike Wan speaking about the prospect of a rollback in the golf ball. Here you could see this graphic we did when they spoke uh, jointly with the, the RNA. Proposed model local rule to require uh, golf balls tested under modified launch condi conditions reflective of longest hitters. It's intended for elite competitions only, and they said there would be no effect on the recreational game. Okay, bear in mind, uh, Dom, you can come back to us on camera, because bear in mind what, what Mike is talking about then with the graphic we just showed you versus what you just heard. And in my case, I held off on hearing any of that yesterday when it when they aired it live. I held off on, on picking it up on where I get the, the press conferences on the, the U.S. Open app because I wanted to hear it with you guys. What Mike was just saying there was that all of the things that we have already been told, save for model local rule, maybe, are, are subject to some question mark because of the the feedback period that they're in right now. So I want to comment on a couple of things that Mike said. First of all, to the prospect that they are hurrying. And he said, you know, we've been working on this for what, it's got an eight-year process when it's all said and done. Hurrying? The, the reality is, and I think, it's, I think it's more about context than it is about this, this time frame that he just defined, which is obviously it, it, when you're talking about something taking years before implementation, that's not being hurried from that perspective. What's being hurried is how fast 
they're, they're moving to restrict. What I mean by that is, and again, this is one guy's opinion, and this is a discussion period, so that's why I'm discussing it. And everything I'm saying to you, I've also discussed with the USGA. My feeling is that, that to go from 120 miles per hour in the robot testing to ratchet it up to 127 miles per hour is too fast. That's the fast. So it is a slow, fast process. It's too fast. The reason why I say that is the golf ball is capped at 317 yards with a one-yard differential, so call it 320. So if you're testing at 120 miles per hour in the robot and the ball cannot exceed 320 and you keep the 320 as the maximum distance in your testing criteria, but you move the robot speed up to 127 miles per hour as proposed, then let's break that down. Currently, there are 22 players at the time that they came out with this proposal, 22 players in the PGA Tour who exceed a swing speed of 120 miles per hour, 22. And we're talking about average, not not ability to do it here and there, because obviously they can do it here and there. Many of you watching can do it here and there. When you're talking about 127 miles per hour, there are no PGA Tour players, zero. That average, that, none. So the first observation is, is that while this, we were told and 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 they said it in their press conference. This isn't about today, right? This isn't about today. Okay. Well, if it's not about today, because there's only 22 that exceed even the 120 testing, which is a current, and nobody's exceeding 127 on average. So if it's not about today, but you move that testing criteria of the robot up to 127 and you obsolete every golf ball back to the verge of, of Bellata, how is that not about today? How is that not about yesterday? How is that not too extreme a reaction? Too fast. And that's what I've been saying all along. And this is coming from a guy that's, that's saying, no, what they're doing, their objectives for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years are good. It's beneficial for the game that technology does not grow the distance at an elite level. I'm okay with that. Fine with that. What I'm what I personally am against is rolling it backwards instead of stopping its progression or at least slowing down its progression in fairness at an elite level. Meaning that the players that in full credit to them, they're getting stronger, they're they're they have better information in terms of their angle of attack, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the players, I guarantee you, will continue to figure out a way. The USGA and the RNA apparently are not looking at equipment right now. I can guarantee you the engineers will continue to figure out a way. So having said that, I look at that and go, well, you know, that's pretty good balance then. Players have it within their own accord to continue to excel because they get better at what they do. Okay. Why would we want to limit that? That's, that's athletics. That's why athletics change. I mean, our game used to be played with, with a, a stick and a rock. Okay. I'm, I'm, I, I believe in that, but the proposal 
that, that they've been floating around is so extreme that to me it seems like my sense is that it's a reaction that when they decided to not include what they call the recreational golfer, and they shouldn't because a recreational golfer is definitely a distance problem there. They hit it too short. The average distance, and this includes all handicaps, all ability levels, so it skews it actually up, is 209 yards. But if you start to look at average handicaps, let's say above 12, if you want to go above 15, uh, if you look at the demographics of, of, of golf, so now you combine, say, over 50 with a handicap that's in the mid-range, and you're, you very quickly drop below 200 yards, very quickly and significantly. So when these conversations were first started some years ago, and I think Mike was alluding to it when he said where we thought in the direction we thought we were going to go was very different than where we are now because I think it included recreational golfers. It was very interesting too, and I, sus- I suspect that Mike used the phrase, the word, because it was, it was in the question that he was asked, which we didn't feature, where he actually used the word bifurcation. Shocking. And... That issue, just so I touch on it for you, and you heard Mike kind of describe it too, where the manufacturers are going to to the governing bodies and going, you know what, you're going to really hurt a segment of our business because a big element of golf is about aspiration. People aspire to do what the best in the world do. That's the standard against which you measure yourself. I'm not saying you get anywhere near it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with not getting anything near it, but there's certainly not anything wrong with being aspirational and dreaming and trying to hit that shot. Because part of the beauty of the game of golf is that we can hit a putt, we can hit a chip. Yeah, every now and then we can hit an iron or we can hit a drive that we approximate to relative to our tees and circumstance that is like something that one of the greats of the game has done. That's part of what makes it so fun. We're the only sport in the world where we literally can go to the grandest of stages. What? Less than two weeks ago, we had 24 of you guys at the old course of St. Andrews. You don't think that that whole experience was just dripping with nostalgia and the echoes and whispers of history past that took place in the very ground upon which we tread that day? It was incredible. It's part of what makes golf so unique. So, one guy's opinion. My, my opinion on it is, and it comes from this whole thing of, of slowing down, which I realize might, might take offense to the way that I phrase it, but I'm, I'm not talking about their long-term objectives. I believe in their long-term objectives. My feeling is, is that instead of taking the, the robot and going from 120 miles per hour, which is a very small group of people that are that are doing that on average because everyone always points out to me oh so and so lots of golfers succeed that well they do once in every x amount of swings i'm talking about average which is the best way to measure things on average so if you have 22 at the time that the proposal was was made that are exceeding 120 okay well 120 needs to go up not much there's nobody at 127 and I realize that you're setting that for the future. Okay, well, let's let the future start to take care of some of the responsibility here instead of impacting so much of today and yesterday. In other words, I think what you should do with the robot is you shouldn't wait till 2026 in the interests of fast and slow, the contrast of these two phrases and how it impacts this subject. 
I don't think you should wait. I think today you should move up the, the robot speed. Today. You should move it up one half of one mile per hour. Today. Because you're talking about 2026, 23, 24, 25, and then 26. You'd be up two miles per hour by the time you even got there if you took my proposal and did it at a half mile per hour per year. You could do it at a half a quicker rate if you want to. But what I'm saying is, is what lacks in all of this conversation, and this is after going through all of my sources and all of the engineers that do this every day, what we don't have is we don't have definitive data. We know where we stand right now. We know that we're seeing increases in, in, in the distance that the ball has been going over the last 20 years amongst elite golfers. I'm okay with all that. And I'm, I've said it over and over and over again. I'm okay with the idea that we need to do something for the future benefit of the game. That's all good. It's all good. I'm with you. What I don't believe in is how fast it's moving because of the impact it's going to, significant impact it's going to make. This idea that people have that the reduction in the golf ball will be uniform. They're saying like at the top tier, when you go to 127, it's going to cost golfer, the, the elite golfers 15 yards. And every piece of research that I'm doing with people that actually know the engineering are telling me that you cannot guarantee that. These golf balls that Mike are talking about, there are different varieties that they're making. And essentially what it comes down to, to put it into very simplistic terms, is a golf ball is made out of various layers of rubber compound. And how much you harden or soften the respective layers in the chemical mix that makes these rubber compounds respectively too will impact the performance of that golf ball. If you want to slow down a player that has a very high swing speed, you've got to soften the core of the golf ball which is in complete contrast to a player that has a slow swing speed, say under 100 miles per hour, that's looking to gain more distance, that player needs a softer core so they can compress it. The best players need a harder core so that when they compress it, and this is when the physics kicks in, it's velocity that will want to return to its original form. That's where you get that explosive distance from. It's also working in symphony with a whole suite of technology in the rest of the equipment too, plus all those other things that I talked to you about. Athletic strength and knowledge about your particular golf swing, attack angles, et cetera. Right? So what I'm saying is, is if you, if you took that robot and you moved it up one half of one mile per hour immediately, None of us would have said a word. Everyone would have shrugged and went, okay. No bifurcation, no different golf balls, nothing. You get to the next year, you move it up another one half mile per hour. Eh. My feeling is, is that you would have to get to a point where the robot is at a minimum of two miles per hour more which would be two, four, which would be on average about five yards less, right? Maybe a little less than that, depending upon that speed. Somewhere maybe three yards less. I don't think anybody would care, but don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't because I've got, I've, I've got a, a sense about that too. What I'm saying is, is that at that point, we'd actually have what we currently lack. And that is real data coming in on the impact of slowing down the golf ball. We'd have a ton of data 
now spread out over the course of a couple of years without impacting the business side of the game, without impacting the fact that you guys at home want to play the same golf ball that the best players in the world are playing. None of that would be impacted with what we're talking about here or what I'm talking about here. But we'd have tons of data coming in. And if it gets to a point where there is a material impact on the average golfer or recreational golfer, to use their phrase, okay, then that's when you make a decision. That's when you veer off and you say, okay, well, it's still the same technology. It's still the same layering. It's still the same recipe. It's still the same uh, cover technology. It's probably the same dimples may or may not be. But this golf ball that you guys are interested in playing, all the elements of it are the same, except for the tour player. Here's how we change the recipe a little bit, which, which I'm telling you is probably going to be that they're going to soften the core. All right. Probably. But everything else about the golf ball so you guys can stay aspirational is going to be the same. It's just if you have a swing speed that approximates, let's say, 115 to 125 miles per hour, because we're talking a few years down the road, maybe somebody will be there on average. I don't know. Doubt it, but maybe. Then, okay, that's the time when, when we make a divergence. So that's where I think that where people are saying that the process is going too fast and Mike's scoffing at it going, what are you talking about? We're taking years to make this decision. And in full credit to him, they are. They're taking the time. He's telling us that they're listening. We know that it's modified their position in certain areas. All I'm saying is, is that if you listen, 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 and then, then decide, yeah, we're still going to go from 120, 127. That's too fast. <laughs> right? So it's, it's, it's slow, fast. Where again, my, my humble opinion is, I think we can accomplish the same thing long-term by actually getting data based upon slowly ratcheting this thing up. And you can do it in a way that wouldn't offend anybody. You can do it in a way that would have zero impact uh, on the business side, at least on the front end until we get real data, because right now we don't have it. And that's, that's me talking to everybody, all the, all the, the golf ball engineers that I've talked to, all my sources on that side, that's even me talking to the USGA about it and then being honest and going, well, we'd, we'd have to get more data, but okay, well, let's get data as we're deciding what to do instead of waiting until it gets done. And what happens if you find out you did the wrong thing or it was too much? I know that there's people that want it rolled back significantly and they would cheer that fact, but if it, if it has a, a detrimental impact on a percentage of the field. And I think it's a, it's a much bigger percentage of what people think. That's why I'm, I'm raising this prospect. This whole idea, as I was telling you, that a rubber compound can have a uniform reduction in distance, regardless of how you measure the inbound speed, makes no sense. And I haven't found an engineer yet that, that will tell me that, that you can find a uniform reduction. Again, it's something they won't know until they put it out there and they get back the data. So anyways, it's one guy's opinion. Um, it's very complicated. I'm curious what you guys think about it. And I'd like to talk some more about it as, as we are now into about a half hour away from T-Shots being struck at the 123rd United States Open. More of the Fairways of Life show coming up worldwide after this. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. 
Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs. The Tour Ball reinvented. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm going to go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're going to need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one. Gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz. Sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. It is the dawn of the 123rd United States Open. First tee shots will be struck coming up in just over 30 minutes on this opening day of the U.S. Open. It's been a pleasure to share it with you all week. I'm on the road, obviously, today. Uh, A lot of stuff that we are discussing. I know a lot of uh, comments are coming in from fans around the world. Dom, what are you hearing from people today? Oh, we're hearing a lot. Are you kidding me? Um, I can try and read some of it. Uh, but I would imagine you're going to want to respond to almost everything I'm going to say because this golf, especially with the golf ball rollback situation, it's obviously extremely complex and layered. Um, RNM says, cap it off. This current ball stats will be the threshold. Uh, eventually, the greens will be poured concrete at this point. Juan's long-term vision, visionless future. Don't 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 roll back ball distance. Just make the fairways narrower with the rough just off the fairway. Problem solved. You don't need to move tee box uh, tee boxes back to a course to make a course harder for the pros. Evidence just put a 78 yard par three in the U.S. Open. Interesting. Uh, let those who play make the call, not some whiny pencil pusher. <laughs> Equipment technology gains will keep happening. 80% of distance gains are equipment technology. Go and hit a wooden driver and a ballotta ball and see what happens. Or hit a wooden driver with a modern ball and see what happens. But yeah, go ahead. They're not giving credit to the modern athlete's dedication to their craft. 
True. So let the amateurs buy the tour ball. Ha ha. They will. Uh, how do we get Matt voted in as the president of golf? <laughs> Sorry to report that's not going to happen. Also, there is no president of golf. That'd be a cool job, though. Um, why spend so much money toughening golf courses when all we need to do is slow the ball down? Amateurs should always have the best ball, not this rolled back ball. Why punish a golfer just because he can swing faster? Matt and Dom, look at the comments. That's that's what we're doing. Uh, for, <laughs> I'm just reading the comments. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm, I'm reading and looking and saying as I say it. Uh, freeze the tech now. No rollbacks. I mean, I think this is out of my depth, which is why we are all we are all so lucky to have you, Matt, someone who understands all the layers to this. You know I, what, though, Tom? Again, it's, it's way out of my depth. It's just so layered. So some of these comments, everybody feels like, well, this is the problem. This is the fix. No, I think no, the no, problem no. is that's, so that's big why, and layered why, and complex. No, Dom, that's why I was trying to jump in. Our audience is so intelligent. If you actually, If you actually listen with context to what these comments are coming in, almost everybody that you've read so far is saying the exact same thing. Almost everybody. You've got people that are saying you can deal with distance by setup. It's 100% true. We've seen that. Uh, you've got other people that are going, don't go backwards. Just slow down where we are right now. Yeah. That makes sense too. You can do that. You've got other people going, whoa, whoa, whoa. No matter what you do, the technology will advance. Yeah. That's 100% true. I've seen what these engineers do. It's not just the golf ball. Right. So, yes. Plus, you've got the the athleticism of athletes. And and I realize that most people live in in, in what I, I call, a, a you know, a present day conceit and thinking like, well, athletes today have, have got to this great level. OK, well, what about 20 years from now? They're going to be trained even better. They're going to be even stronger. They're going to if you look at golfers coming coming through like like uh, Ludwig Aberg, right, who's who's this this great young golfer that won the PGA Tour U. These are big kids. They're all like 6'2 and bigger. Golf is going to get bigger. So, yeah, there's athleticism there. So, so I, can, you know, I'm can listening I, to that. You, can I play devil's advocate, gonna, though, and ask it, one question? Yeah, yeah but one, just to finish up my thought, you kept thinking I was going to jump in and comment on what all the different people are saying. There was no need to do that. Everybody is pretty much saying the same thing. The, the, as complex as the situation may appear to be, it's not that complex when you when you listen to our own audience uh, it's it, there was great consistency across the board there. I'm not saying that what I'm about to say, I believe I'm just playing devil's advocate. One of the things okay. that I've heard people sort of bring up in this discussion, and I don't know, maybe this is relevant, maybe it's not, but technology has gotten so good that. In theory, a player with less skill, a tour player with less skill, who can't connect in the center of the club face with the golf ball. Well, that's not a tour player, but with go regularity, ahead. With regularity. That's not a tour player, but go ahead. That's not a tour player you just defined, but go ahead. Well, do you, you can't believe... Fake, you cannot fake your way to the highest tiers of the game. And it's not just the PGA Tour. It's, it's no, all I'm the not saying that, but what I'm saying is the equipment is, my understanding... 
is that the equipment has gotten to a point where if there's two tour players on a tee box and one, one player hits the ball dead center in the club face and the other player hits it off by two millimeters or three millimeters to the left or to the right or whatever it is, the end result is not going to be that different. As opposed to in 1975, the difference would be massive because they weren't as skilled hitting the center of the club face. There's more room for error now because the ball is less spinny and because the golf club technology is better. So that's true. Is is part so that is true. So is part of this symphony of technology and problems and complexity of this golf ball rollback, is there an argument to be made that we add more spin or, or is there anything they could do to the golf ball to make it so that skill yeah. becomes as important as it was in say 1975? Yeah. I, I'm not suggesting the game roll back to 1975 by any means, uh, but you can add more spin to the golf ball and you've got people like, uh, uh, should they? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think more, more spin should be added to the ball. You know, you have Mark Carnevale that told me he doesn't like the modern equipment because it hits the hits it too straight. It's harder for him to work the ball to chase a pin that's that's you know tucked on the right or hidden away on the left. Uh, modern equipment does do that, and it does level the field more, which is I think what you were trying to say at large. Um, I, I I wanted to make sure that there wasn't any inference that that tour players somehow didn't have incredibly mad talent to get to the level of of play that 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 they possess that the tours that they're on because they do, and I think people. Uh, depending on what they want to do with their particular perspective on this argument, kind of like to try to brush that aside as though tour players are somehow not as skilled as they used to be. They're crazy mad skilled, but yes, the technology definitely narrows the field even more, which I happen to like incidentally. I, I mean that from the standpoint, that's the old argument. I know it's another divergence, but do you want dominance or, or do you want parity? And most people from a fan's perspective, they like to see a dominant player. I like to see parity. I, I like to see a, an absolute bar fight every week where you're not 100% certain where the winner is going to come from. doesn't take away my respect for when we do see a, a semblance of dominance like we're seeing right now from Brooks Kepler, for example. I think that's really, really cool. But I do love the fact that, that a winner could come from a lot of different quadrants. So, uh, yes, if you're asking me the question, does, does equipment narrow the field from, the stamp, from a performance standpoint? It does. But as we know, the best of the best are still the best of the best, and they still find their way to the top. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we are minutes away, folks, from the U.S. Open starting. Matt, you want to do some weather, some air times, real quick? We've got. Yeah. Why, why don't you the give us? You. The weather's I was great. going to ask you. Give us, give us the weather, and it looks beautiful. Yeah, the weather's great. You can see there. Uh, uh, essentially, folks, we're looking at seventy, mid seventies every day. Sunny, uh, very little wind. There's again, if you're watching on the TV side, you can see the. That first line that says three to six, five to ten, three to six, six to twelve. That's the sustained winds, which is a bench of you know, basically five miles an hour. Not really any wind, and then even the gusts are really not heavy. Twelve to eighteen, maybe in the evenings or the late afternoons and over the weekend potentially. But generally speaking, and it's the first time we've said this in a while, Matt. Uh, the weather for this U.S. Open in California in Los Angeles is going to be stellar, and I would think. One of the good things about this is the USGA is going to be able to control the golf course better. They're going to be able to have the golf course will play. L.A. Country Club will play the way they want it to play over the weekend, which is always more exciting to see how the players react to that. And then, Matt, you can read this here. This is coverage, which gets underway 
literally in, in 15 minutes, Matt. Yeah, I, I'll uh, go through that time one sec. One, one, one comment about the weather. 18 miles per hour starts to be almost a club if it's into the players for a tour player. So you're somewhere between quarter to half to a full club in some of those gusts in the afternoon. So that's the only thing that I would say to keep an eye on in terms of how it impacts play. Nothing, nothing really terrible because the good news is for the tour players, the, the wind is coming out of the exact same direction all week and they figure it out very, very quickly. So that, that's, that, I, that's why I feel like Dominic asked me the other day, what do we think the winning score is going to be? And I, I feel like it's going to be somewhere around 12 and I, and I still feel that way. All right. So coverage uh, starting as you can see in less than 20 minutes on Peacock at 9:40 a.m. Eastern time at 1 p.m. Eastern time on USA network. And that will go all the way up and deep into prime time. So that gives the main network time to get through local news, national news programming, et cetera, before at 8 p.m. Eastern time, the U S open will be on NBC, and that will go all the way up until 11 p.m. Same schedule tomorrow, 9.40 on Peacock, 1 p.m. on USA, 8 p.m. on NBC. All these times are Eastern on Saturday. The coverage kicks off on the network at 1 p.m. Dom will go through the digital side in just one second. 1 p.m. on NBC, and then Sunday at noon on Peacock, and then at 1 p.m. Eastern time on NBC until the the, uh, anticipated and scheduled conclusion of the national championship. Dom, what do you have on the digital side? On the digital side, you can get your coverage on usopen.com. You can download the USGA app. A DirecTV also has sort of like a quad box situation. If you have DirecTV, you can get a ton of coverage that way. What you're seeing on the screen here are sort of the blockbuster pairings. Not all of these groupings will be available on the feature group, hole-by-hole coverage, so on and so forth. But these are the big, I mean, you can see there's some serious Blockbuster pairings, of course, it's the U.S. Open. Justin Rose, Ricky Fowler, Jason Day, Bryson Molinari-Hatton. You know, that Morikawa-Homa-Scheffler group is a good example. That is feature group coverage this morning. Those guys tee off around 11 o'clock Eastern time in the U.S. Um, I think it's like 11.13 is the Colin Morikawa-Max-Homa-Scheffler group. And then Xander Shoffley, Victor Hovland, and John Rahm that is the other morning featured group, which you can catch on those apps and all the stuff that I'm talking about from digitally. And then as you move along further into the afternoon, you're going to find that the feature group coverage will be Finau, Spieth, and Cantlay, and Brooks Kepka, Hideki Matsuyama, and Roy McIlroy. I mean, it doesn't get, I mean, you can see there on the screen, Brooks, Hideki, and Rory. I mean, that's, that's as good as it gets, baby. I mean, I'm... There's also featured whole coverage. U.S. Open Radio is obviously available at SiriusXM in the States, usopen.com, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there are 9 million ways to watch the U.S. Open, which starts in about 15 minutes, Matt. And I'm going to have my phone out, my laptop, computer, and cast to my screen, and I will be unavailable shortly. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. I hope you guys are all unavailable too, consumed by the 123rd U.S. Open. It has been, as ever, a pleasure to discuss everything surrounding the world of golf leading into this U.S. Open, and we're very much looking forward to wrapping it up with you at the conclusion of the same. So enjoy the L.A. Country Club and its hosting of the national championship. And until we are together again, be well and goodbye for now.